another episode of the Inside OSU podcast. I'm Emily Bjorkland. This week, we dive a little deeper into the role of race in our popular culture, a conversation that isn't easy, but is critical. To assist in that conversation, I sit down with Rodney Barnes, an award-winning Hollywood screenwriter and producer, best known for hits such as The Boondocks and Marvel Runaways. We talked about his childhood, how he got his foot in the Hollywood door, and what he has seen over the years as an African-American writer. So now, my interview with Rodney Barnes here on the Inside OSU podcast. Enjoy! I uh, grew up in Annapolis, Maryland, and from as long as I can remember, my mother was a school teacher, and she used to go to the library to do her lesson plans. And I remember finding a box of comic books under, like, just some shelf. And it was love at first read. It's like I didn't care about Curious George or the Cat in the Hat or any of that. I was like it was something about comics that appealed to me. And I actually credit comic books. I actually write them now too. But I actually credit comic books for helping with my media career because it was graphic storytelling. And it was more movement the way that the story progressed via comic books more so than kids books. So that image to movement thing helped. Well, was the first comic book that really piqued your interest? Um, it's weird because there's a legendary comic book artist, Neil Adams. Um, he was he did a lot of Batman covers, and he was one of the guys that evolved the idea of Batman from the older, kind of comic booky things to a modern type look and feel. He sort of made him James Bond in a way, and his work was the thing that sort of I gravitated to really early on. Where was that transition then from wanting to uh, fall in love with comic books and your love for comic books to wanting to get into screenwriting? Because then you moved from Maryland, you yeah. went to college in, at Howard University in D.C. Mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. then so moved from D.C. to L.A. to start and pursue screenwriting. <laughs> it had a lot to do with, at first, you can't see me on this podcast, but I'm really big, and I tried to play sports. Like I thought there was this professional sports career at some point and I tried to bum around and do a bunch of different things and I went to a bunch of different colleges. And eventually it was like, okay, you have to get serious about life. And I always wanted to be in film and TV, but I didn't see the mental bridge from Annapolis, Maryland to Hollywood, California. And I thought everybody in Hollywood must be a genius. Um, I just didn't have, I didn't know anybody. I didn't have any connections. I didn't, um, it was nothing. So when I went to Howard, I started to uh, work as an assistant director and a production assistant on movies in the DC area. I worked on uh, Pelican Brief, Clear and Present Danger, Forrest Gump, a bunch of movies. Uh, a lot of movie companies come and do their glamour shots of the White House and Washington Monument and that kind of stuff. And slowly but surely, I started to make relationships, and I worked on a movie, Major Pain, in Virginia, Charlottesville, Virginia. And I met Damon Wayans, and we sort of hit it off, and he asked me what I wanted to do in the business. I told him I wanted to be a writer. So for the next two and a half years, I followed him around the country, working on a bunch of really bad movies, um, punching up, writing jokes. I'd sleep in my car, and on to the next. And eventually, uh, it landed me in L.A. I used to commute from Maryland to L.A., so I would drive that's cross a, country. That's a commute. That's it a is. <laughs> it takes three days if you don't sleep. And um, 
worked on a movie, and I'm actually in this movie too, it's Bulletproof, it's Adam Sandler and Damon Wayans. Uh, I fell in love with the place, fell in love with the business, and decided to stay. I lived in my car for about a year and figured it out. So uh, you're coming today to kind of continue this conversation of the role that race now plays in pop culture references. So mm -hmm. what are you hoping to kind of take away from today's conversation with this student body here at OSU? Um, more or less, you know, anytime you get to connect to, when you work in Hollywood and you work around like-minded people and like um, people in the same age range and demo as well, you start to think a particular way. And if you don't talk to people who come from the perspective of students and younger people and you're not challenged in that way, you only see your point of view. And really it's more to have hopefully a stimulating conversation. So in a lot of your work, you, there is that focus on the role that race does play. It's both uh, Everybody Hates Chris with Boontang Clan and then with your upcoming series that you're working on for Hulu. Why do you think it's important for that aspect to play such a critical role in, uh, in shows and movies and series such as those? Well, I think we're in a unique period of time where you have a lot of, you've always had people of color on television. But typically you didn't have people of color behind the thinking that goes into the writing and producing of those characters. So oftentimes you would come up with sort of a caricature of what the culture is. And people sort of form relationships the further we get away from actually interacting with each other from what they see on TV. So if you see a distorted version of what a culture is and what appeals to a culture, how they behave and what's important to them, oftentimes you start thinking that's the way it is. And it influences policy, it influences relationships, it influences how we interact with one another. So I think we're in a unique time where you have shows like Atlanta and Insecure and different things in, in feature film as well, where you're getting more accurate depictions. It's still not perfect. Um, I just did a show, American Gods, um, where all we talked about was race. In my episode, I had the black episode. But all we talked about was race, and it was unique to be able to speak about race in such an open, honest way. I don't think you could have done this show 10 years prior to. You moved to L.A. in the 90s, mm -hmm. correct? So in your time there and working in writing, how have you kind of noticed that shift then uh, from wanting to develop these characters in a more realistic uh, in a more realistic light? I think I've always loved genre. So um, fortunately working on Runaways and American Gods, that was my first taste of actually having things produced in a genre world. And when I first came to LA, I think 94, 95, I was pitching this producer um, a vampire film, but it was set in black community. And he said, you know, vampire in Brooklyn didn't work. People don't want to see black vampires. And people don't, black people don't like horror, blah, blah, blah. Cut to today when you have Get Out, and you have the upcoming Us, and you have Black Panther, even though that's not horror, but it is genre, and it broke records and nominated for an Oscar now, where I could probably take the same idea I had in 94, 95, and I could pitch it today and I'd have a shot, just because the, the evolution in what you see as regards to um, the acceptance. So how's that kind of translated to your this new series that you're working on for Hulu? Because I read a little bit that it's it wants to explore this uh, dichotomy between the these people that are working in kind of a cocaine mm -hmm. drug ring, is that correct? But they also have this passion for music and they want to explore that mm -hmm. more. So how is that taking those ideas and putting it towards this new 
something in 2019 that you're working on? I think what it speaks to is oftentimes when you have a show like The Wire, where it almost feels like varying degrees of hopelessness. Like, it's honest, you know, I've lived in Baltimore too, and it's a tough town. But I think when you add dreamers and music and people who want to do things, and it's an active participation in your own destiny, it offers a ray of hope. And I think that's the thing about the show that was attractive to me, that ultimately these guys figured out a way in the same type of circumstances, deprived, no money, crime, blah, 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 that they didn't take door A, they actually took door B really just on faith. And I think that's something that's a universal theme that can speak to anybody who feels like they're an underdog. And typically you don't get those stories from us in a serialized way. You get the blind side or you get those one-offs, you know, in, in certain types of ways. But I think watching these guys go through their ups and downs without really any role models whatsoever, figuring it out intrinsically, they take control of their own destiny. Um, I'd never seen that before. So I wanted to be a part of it. So 2019 mm -hmm. is going to be a big year for you. You've mm -hmm. got, you're writing a novel, you've got the crime series coming out, you've got the three movies that you mentioned that are coming out this year. What are you most excited about for what 2019 has in store for you? <sighs> um, I've got a TV series at Stars that I've been developing for three years. It was at HBO, then it was at Apple, and now it's at Stars. And it looks like we have a legitimate shot to really move forward. And the story I've always wanted to tell, it's loosely based on the rapper Snoop Dogg, him growing up in Long Beach in the 80s. And think Friday Night Lights meets hip hop culture, where you kind of have an idealistic feel. It's like the thing that was exciting to me was I'd never seen from the African American culture Friday Night Lights, American Graffiti. Um, coming-of-age stories that didn't feel like somehow there was a nefarious belly underneath. Like, um, it, it, somebody's going to shoot somebody eventually. It was like, that's how it always feels whenever you talk about people who don't um, have money. And I get to tell stories about the culture that at the end of the day, they're ups and downs, but it's about a family more so than it's about the pathology of what's going on around them. And it looks like we got a really good shot at moving forward, but... You never know until they say yes. You never know. You never know. Mr. Barnes was able to speak to OSU students thanks to the efforts of Dr. Lawrence Ware. Dr. Ware is the director for the Center of Africana Studies, as well as coordinator for the Critical Conversations series. He spoke to me a bit about his role on campus and what inspired him to bring Barnes to Stillwater. Um, well, I teach classes. I teach um, a course on um, philosophy of race. I teach a class on MLK and Malcolm X. Um, I also teach an introductory to philosophy course. Um, but as far as, it, as far as it relates to the, to the community of the campus, I bring in speakers. So I, I, um, I organize a speaker series called the Critical Conversation Series where we bring in people to come in and talk about things that I think are important for us to discuss on campus. So why specifically want bringing in Rodney Barnes then for this first one? Uh, Rodney is just a really important guy. He, he did a show called The Boondocks. Um, he did a whole bunch of things, and I just thought that he was a good person to bring on campus to talk about the issue of race and popular culture. Um, and with comic books being such a big thing right now, I thought that was a, 
a, a, a opportune time to bring him in and to give him a chance to talk about the Boondocks and the Falcon, which is a comic that he did, and also uh, Lindo Calrissian comic. So just mm -hmm. thought it was a good ch chance to bring him in and talk to him. So, so what do you kind of hope that students were going to take away from that conversation with him? Just the, well, first of all, just to be exposed to him, uh, which is a, an, an important thing, but also just the complexity of being a black person, a uh, black man in particular, in uh, working uh, in popular culture, working in the comics, working in television, just and in just exposure to a person who's kind of done it well and what it takes to do it. It is possible to be a person of color working in popular culture. Mm -hmm. uh, that it's possible to be a woman working in popular culture, but you have to do the work to do that. As the semester continues, you have more speakers lined up. Critical, critical conversations will continue. Uh -huh. What are you hoping to accomplish through these speakers coming in and through kind of bringing up these difficult dialogues with students on campus? Well, uh, we're bringing in Chio Hidori Coker, who was the showrunner for the Luke Cage television show on Netflix. Uh, bringing him in in March or April. And I hope to uh, do the same thing that we did with Rodney, which is continue the conversation about race and popular culture uh, and really give him an opportunity to talk about why that show was canceled, why uh, it did so well the first season um, but didn't do so well the second season, and just kind of talk about the relationship between race and popular culture. Thank you again to both Mr. Barnes and Dr. Ware for taking the time to speak with me. Mr. Barnes spoke to students as part of the Critical Conversation series, so make sure to check in with calendar.okstate.edu for upcoming speakers this semester. And thanks to you for being here for another edition of the Inside OSU podcast. We'll have more for you next week, and we'll hope you'll join us again. Once again, I'm Emily Bjorklund, and we'll see you next time.